Goodness. Good to see each and every one this morning. If you'd like to follow along with our beginning reading, we're at the 103rd Psalm, beginning with verse 1. Psalm 103, beginning with verse 1. And while you're turning there, a little song kept going through my head while we were singing. He is my everything, He is my all, He is my everything, both great and small. He gave His life for me, He set me free. He is my everything. This morning we're going to, the title of the lesson is, Who is God? And we, we know God, but do we know God? God has a lot of characteristics, and it's my understanding that if we're imitating Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is he is God. Uh, we need to know those characteristics because, oh, to be like the Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thine diseases? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. The place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep His commandment, and to those that remember His commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening to the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye, all ye His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Primarily, we're here this morning to bring glory to God. And we're here on earth to bring glory to Him by the way that we live. And we let our light shine so that men will see our good works and glorify Him. It's all about God. And so this morning, the question on our hearts, the question we, we really need to think about, not just today, but every day, who is God? Well, without going in, into the notes and the Scriptures, 
that are they're in front of us, the first thing that comes into my mind when I say who is God, God is the great creator, the one and only creator. And God is our salvation. And those two things are very important. And then there are a host of things that God displays characteristics of by His actions. For example, you woke up this morning, maybe with an alarm clock, maybe without one, and you got up and started the day, but everything is, you know, the air is here. This morning the sun was out. The sky is beautiful. We've had rain this week, and that was great. The grass needed it. God always knows what we need, and it's already planned ahead of time. He, he doesn't wait the last minute and say, oh, they, they're waking up. God has it under control. God has a plan. God knows what He's doing at all times. And His nature, not only is He efficient, but the New Testament writers tell us, John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And you can take that three-word sentence and flip it the other way. Love is God. God is love. Love is God. God is the essence of love. And the, the manner in which He related to us, the crown of His creation, all of these years, shows us His love. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us in spite of our behavior. Does He love our sin? Absolutely not. And He never will. He's grieved at that. And He showed Israel and He showed us in the process that He will not tolerate sin. And that it will bring uh, retribution gone unattended, not taken care of, just like some horrible disease that goes not taken care of. Nobody deals any. You know, I'm not going to fool with that. I'm just going to keep on doing what I was doing. And then we physically die. Well, we'll spiritually die if we ignore God and His wishes. We don't want to ignore God. A lot of times we develop the attitude because we're not doing the right things and not serving Him. We develop an attitude of, well, God's mad at me anyway. Uh, and I can't do anything right. God is not mad at you while you were still an enemy. Romans chapter 5, He sent His Son to die for you. While I was still an enemy, He sent His Son to die for me. He wanted us to have salvation. He knew that by, by the laws that existed, and He can't break them either because He's a God of justice. That's a characteristic. He's a God of justice. So He had to answer the requirements of the law. Somebody had to pay for our sins. Well, the animals couldn't do it because they're just animals. That was a formality. But His Son was sinless and He was born into a human body and He came down to earth, Son of God, Son of Man. And He was here 33 years. And He went to a Roman cross and suffered a lot of pain. He died for our sins. And you got to... I talked last week about personalizing you got to personalize this a little bit don't let it just be an old old story that you read or it's like watching a movie that you watched 20 years ago <laughs> this is real God is eternal and with God it's like it just happened 
because God planned it from the foundation of the world right on up until the time that it took place. God knows everything all directions. Having said that, the next passage of Scripture that we will look at is Hebrews 13.8. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. God is unchanging. You know, the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus. Jesus is God. God the Spirit is the Comforter. God the Father is watching over us. 13.8 says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we paraphrase that, we could say very simply, God is unchanging. We sing song in the hymnal of hold to God's unchanging hand. God doesn't change His mind. He doesn't change what He expects or what He's doing. And, and absolutely, God cannot fellowship us if we're sinning and de determined to continue doing it. But He's like the prodigal son's father. He's waiting for us. His arm is outstretched, waiting for us to be penitent and come home so that He can take us up in His arms. You know, I was going to say, when you haven't seen your grandkids in a while, well, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, what's the difference eventually? You haven't seen them in a while, and you just want, here they come, and you want, and, and, uh, and then the thought flashback, no, it doesn't have to be a while either. It could be an hour, and you see that smiling face coming, and regardless of what mean things they've done in their little lives, regardless of what they said that was rude to us at one point, you know, we don't say, oh, here, here they come. We want to scoop them up. We love them. We love them. And I think they know that. They love right back. Sometimes you get woke up early in the morning and a grandchild showed up before seven and you're sort of sleeping and you hear this little voice saying, Grandpa, are you awake? Yeah, I've been waiting for you. Uh, no, I'm not, but I, I'm glad I am. God is waiting for us. And God loves us. And God does want to see us coming with the right attitude, the right spirit, the right heart. And if we're not serving Him, the, the first righteousness we need is the righteousness to decide, I need to repent. I need to turn and go the right direction. Because if I'm going the wrong way, I can't fellowship with my Father. If I'm going the wrong way, I can't come into His presence. You know, Isaiah went and stood in the presence of God. He was caught up in the, into the throne room and he was, I don't want to say he was terrified, but he was apprehensive because he felt how small he was and he felt how unrighteous he was. And God sent one of His angels and He, he took coals from the altar and this was a spiritual setting so it's symbolical but he went over and he touched Isaiah on his mouth and he the angel said you you have been cleansed well we get our cleansing from the blood of Christ when we obey the gospel we've been cleansed and all of a sudden we're perfect absolutely not 
but our perfection is in Christ and our righteousness is God's righteousness. Jesus is called Jesus Christ the Righteous. That's one of His titles. And He is our righteousness that will see to it that we get to heaven. But it's only if we are faithful and obedient. If we cease to be faithful, we cease to be obedient. We go back to our old will. We let the old man revive again, which shouldn't happen because when it's dead, it ought to stay dead. You know, Paul, Paul's lengthy in Romans when he says you, you, you're either serving God or you're serving the devil. You know, you, you can't have it both. You can't go with the world. You can't say, oh, this isn't such a bad thing. What's the harm in me doing that? No, no. See what God feels about it. And in conjunction with that, the next passage I want to bring in is 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. How far? To usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter's writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, God's made promises. The Lord is going to return. Time will be no more. The, the righteous will be rewarded. The wicked will be punished for eternity. But he says, but God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering to usward, Peter says. To us. He's long-suffering. He's waiting. He's patient. He's longing. He's waiting like the prodigal son's father because he's not willing to have anybody perish. You know, you hear these slogans, uh, no child left behind, no man left behind, no one left behind. God literally does not want to leave anybody behind, but He can't break the rules and He can't bend the rules in order for us to get where we need to be. We have to be believing and obedient. We have to pr practice the obedience of faith. God is love. God is unchanging. God is long-suffering. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, God is light. And I believe we all agree that we're living in a very dark world right now. A dangerous kind of world in more ways, not just physically, but it's very dangerous spiritually. And it's exceptionally dangerous for our children because there are entities that want to fill their minds up with things that are not godly want to fill their minds up with things that don't belong there, want to fill their minds up so that they can destroy us. Satan is behind it because he's jealous of the crown of God's creation and it, he knows where he's going and so it's his intention to cause the complete downfall of the human race. Take them with him. So 1 John 1.5, John says, This then is the message which we have heard from Him. And we declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. The Greek says, not even a speck of darkness. It's like the camping trip we went on one time and it was so dark, you could walk up the hill and turn your flashlight on and it's just dark. You know, you couldn't see where you're going in any direction. 
it, this was a rustic state campsite, state grounds. They don't have, they don't waste money on electricity and potholes in those places. You turn your light back on, you've got light. Well, Jesus is light. God is love. God is light. All these good things that we need in our lives to be able to see spiritually and to keep going. And if we're in God, if we're in Christ, there's no darkness there, so we don't have to worry about uh, bumping into it either. We just have to be concerned about keeping our feet where they belong and not wandering off to where we don't belong. Psalm chapter 30, or the 30th Psalm, verse 5. The psalmist tells us that God brings joy. And I would say that God is a joyful person and therefore He wants us to have joy. Psalmist says, For His anger endureth but a moment. In His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. We should look forward to the good things that God is going to bring into our lives. Does the world cause bad things? Are there people that make choices? They create bad situations that spill out on other people? Absolutely. But are those things permanent on us? If we're not the one that did it, no, they're not. Even then, it's not necessarily permanent. So what happens with those things? Romans 8, 28. You can have a bad situation, and if somebody's serving the Lord and things go bad, Job is a good name to bring out. God turns the bad into good. God may not fix everything that happened over here, but God turns the bad into good. Joy cometh in the morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Isaiah will teach us several things about God. He starts with a question. Hast thou known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. So what does He teach us about God? Well, God's everlasting. That means He's eternal. No beginning, no end. Always has been. Always will be. He's in charge. He's in control. People, people and entities have the ability to make choices. And he won't control those by taking away that, that uh, ability to make a choice. But there'll be consequences. But as I said, those choices that someone makes over here affects someone over here. If this person over here is serving God, God will bring good out of a bad situation. So God is everlasting. God doesn't grow weary. I got tired yesterday. I was tired about three o'clock, but I stayed up to an unnamed time, and I was weary, I was tired. And when I woke up, I was refreshed. God doesn't have to go to bed. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't go to sleep. He's always awake, and you know what He's doing? What, what you know, when you're a parent or a grandparent, and the little one is asleep in the other room, and you're still up, and you Maybe you pass going to the bathroom or the kitchen or you're headed getting things ready to go to bed and planning for tomorrow. And what do you do? You peek through the door. 
God is looking in on us all the time. And you say, well, how does He do that? All the people? You know what? He's God. He's the Creator. I don't have an explanation for how does He do that. I just know that He is God. He created everything. He is the only God. There was a king went up against the king of Israel, a Syrian king, and he had a big army, and he's going he's gonna to win. So he's having a party down in his tents, and the, God's prophet told uh, the king, "Get together the young men of the city, and you be their captain, and you go down, and you're gonna you're gonna win this battle." They went down, they won the battle, and the Syrian king ran off home licking his wounds, and he says, "We'll come back in the spring, and we won't fight him in the valley the next time because obviously the God of Israel is the God of the valley. We'll fight him up on the side of the mountain." Now to me, that sounds ridiculous. But to this king, that was how they believed things. They had their own idols. And this kingdom had a, a god of the valley, and this one had a god of the mountain, and this one had a god of the trees. Well, guess what? Our god is the creator. So he can go anywhere, and he can be dominant anywhere. Even going up against the most powerful king on earth at the time of Moses, and where did that powerful king end up at the bottom of the sea. He and his whole army. God just wiped it out. He told Moses, hold the, hold the staff up. He said, now let it back down. And then they all walked away. And Egypt mourned. It didn't have to happen. God was long-suffering even with Pharaoh. Gave him opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And Pharaoh would soften up a little and then he would get haughty. And who, who is Jehovah that I should do what he says? I am the Pharaoh. I am the most powerful king on the earth. He may not have said it, those words, but that was his attitude. We can't, we can't be that way. God is our creator. Moses stood on the side of a mountain taking care of his sheep and he looked and there's a flame in a bush. And he walked over there and he got closer and he stood in the presence of God. And he talked to God. God didn't let him see his, his visage. But he talked to God. Elijah ran off into the wilderness and thought he was the only one left. And he talked directly to God. And God talked to Job out of a whirlwind. Can you imagine standing in the presence of God and having a conversation? I don't know how to take that. I know who God is. I know what the Bible teaches me. But our God truly is an awesome God. And at that moment, we are in the presence of the greatest king, the mightiest king, the only one that has the right to the term His Majesty that we saw in our Bible class books this morning. And you know, right now, we come into God's presence to worship. And so this is not a common type situation. We may be using earthly chairs and they may not be the newest. And it's an older building and that doesn't matter. We could be down, down by the river like Lydia was when Paul came to town and there wasn't a synagogue. So the first place he went to preach and worship was at the jail. He and Silas cast the demon out and it cost money of the people that owned the young lady that had the possession because she was telling people's fortunes. And so those guys pressed charges and they got them got thrown in jail. Scripture doesn't say it. But when Paul looked around, there was no synagogue to preach in. 
he had to find a crowd of people. So he got arrested and put in jail, and he got to preach to all those people in jail that night. And the church grew in Philippi, by the way. God was blessing these guys, and even when they were in the jail and they began to worship God, they were in the presence of God. So I don't want to forget that I can be in the presence of God and not see a manifestation or a the theophany, because God is a spirit, and God is patient, and God is long-suffering, and He wants it to come out well for you and for me, for each and every one of us. And if it doesn't come out well, He has done everything that He can do on His side. He's gone the second mile and the third mile and the 123rd mile. And sometimes we sit down on a big rock and we're too busy or we're tired or we're not interested. Of all the things in our life, we should have the most interest in the spiritual things if we are servants of God. The other things are essential. You know, God knows that. He knows that we have to have a shelter, food to eat and clothes to wear. Well, but when you, when you do the inventory personally and you go down the list, what's most important? Who's most important? How do I order my life? What is my priorities? You know, it's awfully easy to let spiritual things get gently pushed down. We're not really doing anything bad. Well, we really are because if we're neglecting God and if we're pushing Him down the totem pole, we're being disrespectful to Him. All good things originate with God. Once again, God is unchanging. James chapter 1 and verse 7, and we know this verse well. James said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James says all the good things are going to come down from the Father, and you don't have to doubt because He is not going to change the procedures. He's not going to change the rules. He's not going to change His promises and back out and leave you holding an empty bag. God means what He says and He says what He means. Number 8 in Galatians 5.22 Paul said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Now this is a list. But this is a list of characteristics. Spirit is capitalized here. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. These are characteristics of God. God is love, and God is full of love. He overflows. God is joy. God is peace. We looked at the concept last week or the week before about peace is in the kingdom of God. Well, if you're a Christian, that's where you're finding your peace. Long-suffering is a characteristic of God. Gentleness, a loving Father. Goodness and faith. So in Psalm 18, verse 30, the writer says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in Him. And so next to Psalm 18:30, I wrote, or I typed out, God equals perfect. God is the only person 
that you can apply the word perfect to. We strive to be like Jesus. We want to be more like Him every day. But we, we will never be perfect. We will always be of a sinful nature. But God is willing to forgive us if we're striving to do the right thing and willing to repent. Uh, the psalmist has said, not only is God perfect, but His Word is tried. It's tried and true. It's held up. Uh, and then he adds, he is a buckler to all those that trust in him. A buckler is, is a, a, a weapon, uh, so to speak, uh, that a soldier would have. And I looked up the word just to make sure I got context right. The primary use of the word buckler was to protect the sword hand. And when I read that, the first thing I thought about was the Word of God is the sword, sword of the Spirit. And so, God is our buckler. He wants to protect our sword hand. He wants us to fill our heads with good things and not bad things. And when the, when the world starts pumping evil into your living room through YouTube or through streaming on the TV, say, uh-uh, Satan, we're not going there. And get rid of that. Get that out of the way. Because the psalmist said in another place, I will set no unclean thing before my eyes. Likewise, I shouldn't put any unclean thing in my ears. Because our ears will affect our brain also. It will brainwash us. God is a comforter, a teacher. John 14, 26, Jesus told His followers at that time, He said, I'm going to leave, but I will, I will send the comforter, which is the Holy, Holy Ghost whom God will send in my name and He will teach you all things. He's talking to the apostles. The New Testament's not written yet and then the Comforter is going to help them with that. He'll teach you all things and He'll bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now they've long since written it and they've passed away and we've got it in a printed copy and everything we need to know, Peter says in, in uh, 1 Peter uh, God has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Well, that was by inspiration of the Spirit. So He teaches us yet today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. More characteristics. He's the way. Uh, in, in John, He also calls Him the, the door of the sheepfold. He's the entrance. He's the only way. He is the only entrance. He is the truth. He is the only truth. I don't care which postmodernist says there's no absolute truth. There is, and it's with God. God's truth is absolute and always will be. Man's truth can always be counted on. Sometimes it's got a little jumbled up along the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's Jesus talking. He is God. And he's talking about his father, and he is God, and he's just spoke to his disciples about the Spirit, and he is God. The essence of God is active all around us. So now we talk about God's love again, and the young people are working on learning John 3.16, and one of them said it this morning very nicely, and more of them will. In John 3.16, those of us who are older, we've Many of us have learned that long ago. And it needs to have meaning and renew that meaning regular. For God so loved the world. How much? 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For what purpose? That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, in the original language, belief is not an intellectual thought. Belief has an action. Abraham believed God when God said, I'm going to bless you, so leave your father's house and your kindred and go into the promised land. He picked up and he went. If he had sat at home and said, I believe you, God, I believe you, and he just sat there in Mesopotamia and never went, well, God would have removed him from the limelight and he would have found somebody else to call. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, the prophet said, God speaking through the prophet said, Fear not, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Don't fear. I'm with you. Now, what's another way to say I'm with you? You're not alone. Don't fear. You're not alone. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I will give you strength. I will help you through it. I will hold you up with my right hand, the right hand of my righteousness. Who can you count on? God. Always. You can always count on God. It's not an intellectual thing. You don't sit on the side in the amen corner of the pew and say, I believe all that. Yes, I believe all that. If we believe it, we live like we believe it. And then... Then, when we go out there, glory is brought to God because we're shining the light. But another thing happens. We just talk from the Word in here. We go out there and we're living in the world but not living like the world. You're teaching. And if you go home and the little ones start, that we all love start coming in, we're teaching. They listen to what we say. They watch what we do. Uh, a songwriter wrote about him and his little boy and he got the little boy a Happy Meal and stopped too quick at the traffic light and dumped the Happy Meal in the floor. And the little boy said a little word. And he said, Where did you get that word, son? And he says, Daddy, I want to be just like you. I learned it from you. And the guy went home and he rethought his business and he made up his mind, i got to watch this because... He's reading my book. I'm writing a book and he's reading it. Well, it's not just children. There are people in the community that respect each and every one of us. And when we say we're a Christian, then we come under scrutiny even more so. And when we're under scrutiny, so is Christ and His church. And so when they look, well, we want to give them God's message. So when they look at us, they see what we're doing, they see our attitude, they see our characteristics. That's not my characteristics. That's God. That's Christ living in me. We want to be like Jesus. And we need to teach our children that it's okay to watch a make-believe story, but realize it's a story. There is only one hero that we ought to have in our lives, and he's real. And he went to the end. He gave his life, but he's still with us, and he's taking care of us, and that's Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, you need to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be buried with Him in baptism, be raised to walk in newness of life. And that's not the end, that's just the beginning. 
then you live faithful unto death and He'll give you a crown of life. If you're a believer and you've fallen short, if you respond, repent, we'll pray with you and for you that you might be healed. Whatever your need is, will you come while we stand and sing? Sometimes I hear filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all want.